Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Motorsport Dream. Christopher Lindine interviews drivers from all different kinds of motorsport competition. Formula One, Formula One. MotoGP, MotoGP. Endurance. Endurance, Rally, Rally. IndyCar, IndyCar. NASCAR. NASCAR, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Speed Passion Media presents probably the biggest podcast within motorsport. This podcast is created in collaboration with Speed Passion Events, where you can drive a real Formula One car and racing time watches. Enjoy your passion. The Motorsport Dream with Christopher Lindeen. Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Motorsport Dream. I'm your host, Christopher L- Lindian and uh, today's guest we have a Swedish driver who wants to compete in NASCAR, Jonas Fors. Welcome to the podcast, Jonas. Thank you so much um, for having me here. It's a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. So, how are you today? I'm feeling good. I mean, um, we have the coronavirus. Um, I think there's 600 cases around in Sweden and 300 in Stockholm, where I live right now and uh, so I keep myself at home a lot um, trying to avoid getting getting uh, getting the virus myself um, so it's a lot of phone calls but not so many meetings right now mm-hmm. so I'm not so familiar with your you're competing in the USA in some NASCAR but a lower division uh, has the season started already the season is uh, going on. They've been racing, I think it's four races right now, uh, in the Arkham and Arch series, where I compete. Um, it's the fourth division in the ladder to NASCAR, um, so to speak. So in, in the top of the series, you have the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, followed by the second division, which is NASCAR Xfinity Series. And then you have the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Series. And those three series, the top, uh, top three um, are national series, which competes all over the U.S. I race in the Arkham and Arch series, 
Um, so we're the fourth division. We race in the Midwest, the nor uh, northeast of the U.S., and in the South. Um, and that's the fourth division. Then you have the regional West Series, uh, which also is car called Arkham and Arts West Series and the Arkham and Arts East Series. Um, those combined are the fifth division, and then you have the state championships and the track championships um, below those. Uh, so that's basically how the, the structure of, uh, of the, the stock car racing in the U.S. is, is built. Interesting. And, uh, and for how long have you competed in this uh, Division 4? I started in... Uh, I got approved to race in the Super Speedways in uh, 2018. There are four track types which, which we race on. Uh, it's the road courses, as you're, if you're familiar with Formula One and GT racing or Le Mans series and races like that, they, they only race on road courses. So we do one road course in uh, the Arkham Menard series, which I'm supposed to race this year in the end of May. And we race at super speedways like the Daytona, uh, Talladega super speedway. Those are tracks who are about two and a half miles long 30 to 32 degrees banked you have you you go uh, all out on the pedal all the way around an average about 180 190 miles an hour which is somewhere over 300 kilometers an hour so those tracks are really fast and then we do races at short tracks mostly in the arkham and arch series compared to the three national divisions we do a lot more short track racing which are tracks that are a little bit flatter and uh, under a a mile long so it's a lot more door banging so to speak on those kind of tracks and then for seven or eight races we do races on the court the court uh, <coughs> the oval tracks that are called intermediate tracks which are tracks that are over a mile long most often one and a half mile um, and something to 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 the below the super speedways, but still larger than than the short tracks, but still oval. We do around um, 180 miles an hour on these two, so they're also very fast. But we don't floor the pedal all the way around. We can like have one uh, two corners where where we go flat out, and then we release or break into the uh, the next two corners. In oval racing, you. You count uh, not the, the track as two corners, even if it's oval. Um, you count it as four. So the turn in into the first corner is turn one, and then uh, the exit, like the first part of the oval, uh, is turn two. And that is the difference between like road course racing, where every turn is actually a turn number. Do you follow me on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, following. Okay. Uh, which one of these these four different types? Which one is your favorite one? To be honest, I think that if you look at my talent chart or talent profile uh, as a driver, I think that super speedways will fit me best. Um, I have strengths in um, in racecraft that that's that is my craft. When you come to driving, uh, qualifying, hitting just one perfect lap is one of my weaknesses. So the super speedway races are long races. You race for an hour or an hour and a half. And you're always in a pack of at least 20 cars where you have competitors all around you and you can do some, some mischiefs like mind tricks on them and, uh, and, and be in, be in uh, overtake uh, situations for the whole race. 
So super speedways, uh, I think, is my personal uh, largest strength. I haven't raced one of these super speedway races yet. But apart from that, I think compared to to the American field of drivers, I should be stronger at road courses because mm. they race one or two road course races a year. Um, while I come from a background when we race about 16 races on road courses a year. So mm. I have a lot of experience compared to them now. If you go back a bit to people who don't know you, could you tell a bit about yourself? Who is Jonas Force? Well, I'm Jonas Force. Nice to meet you, first of all. <laughs> um, I come from uh, a little island uh, outside of Stockholm. So it's close to the largest city in Sweden, but we have like a rural country culture because we're so far away from from the city there is a lot of forests uh not so many people you have an hour to to the city and um my dad used to be a street racer when he was like in his 20s and 30s uh early 30s uh then i came around and uh then uh, he stopped with that uh he's a car enthusiast or i recall when i was a kid uh hanging out in the garage with him when he was renovating and fixing his old uh, Chevy 69, the El Camino, um, that is mint condition today, but wasn't when he bought it. My mom is also a car enthusiast, but no, none of them share a, any kind of racing tradition in their families. But just a huge passion for, for cars and um, making them look pretty and go fast, basically. So that, that's my like childhood background. Uh, I started out go-karting when I was five. Um, did my first test uh, as well as I played some soccer, but soccer has never been really my sport to play. Go-karting was. So I could spend hours and hours behind the wheel, wheel and um, I really I got this little electrical Jeep from, uh, from my parents when I was about mm. four years old, I think. Um, that I terrorized all the neighbors all the days because it had plastic wheels, so the sounds of it were were quite ear-catching. Uh, luckily, we only had three neighbors, so I'm sorry. <laughs> they still live there. <laughs> I beg your pardon for that. But in the end, I hope that you enjoy like following me on my adventures today. Um, so that's my background. That's where, where I started, basically. Yeah. Uh, we started go-karting when I was a kid. Um, we raced on the local tracks around Stockholm. And then it got to the, to the Mid-Swedish Championship. And we did some races up north and down south. And um, then I, when I got in, it was in 2010, uh, I did my first races uh, in Europe, in Austria. And after that, we raced a little bit in Spain and in France uh, and in Germany. So um, that that's basically my, my my the first beginning of my career. Yeah. So so you were quite an active courting driver, trying out different uh, countries and series and so on. Yeah. When I was, I must have been eleven years old. I think we did thirty six races that year. Oh. Um, so we were everywhere and nowhere at the same time. <laughs> Yeah. We could race one Wednesday night at one track, and then we could go to a Friday night race uh, or Friday uh, Friday night race for another track, and then had a third race on the Sunday. So 
I really got the laps in and I loved racing like different tracks. Uh, we had some competitions where we raced at the same tracks for three days in a row and I, I couldn't stand it because it was just, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we just had mm-hmm. a lot of passion. I mean, filling up the fuel and running on old tires, um, it's still fun. And it builds you as a driver because when you have the fresh tires on the Wednesday and you go for the race, uh, you're in the top. But on the Sunday, when your tires is just scuff, you, you're in the back of the field. Then you have completely different challenges uh, among those drivers. So the, the drivers in the top, they're fast. Uh, they make fast lap times. Uh, they know where to put themselves on the tracks. But in the midfield, it's a little bit more, more messy. And I think that's the, the background of, the, of my like, racecraft talent was built there in the middle, in the middle of the pack. So um, I do not regret anything. I had a blast. I had loads of, uh, of nice friends to hang around with. And uh, like the, the racing background as a kid, it's something that I recommend every every parent to to put their kids in because we stay out of trouble because we are we are with you all the time on the weekends if you have the time to put your kids time to put into your kids in that way and it doesn't need to be like the newest stuff or the fastest gear uh, of course it's always more fun to win the races uh, but to race the races at all is so much more fun than spending time at home uh, and get into trouble if you're from troubled areas. Hmm. Yeah, you were 11 and uh, doing many races and so on, but uh, you stopped courting somewhere. What happened? Uh, what happened and why? Why did you stop courting? And uh, what, what did you do instead? In 2011 was the, one of the most active years when I raced in Sweden and I raced in Spain a little bit. I think I did just one race in Spain, so it's not really mentionable. But And I think we did a race in Germany that year too. But I was in an accident in the, uh, in the Rotex Max uh, Challenge in Sweden. It's not like... It, it, by back then, it was the largest series with the most competitors uh, for my age. And I was hospitalized for, I think it was six nights or something like that with... Um, we were in a fight for the third position, and um, I, I raced hard, but I got raced hard, uh, harder from behind. So I was in an accident where I flipped, and I got the, the steering wheel to the bottom of my belly. And I mean, back then I was 18 years old. These cars are fast. Uh, as a parent, you shouldn't be any kind of worried that your kid will be in that kind of risk. Uh, the go-karts looked a little bit, little bit different back then. Uh, They're much safer now. Uh, and the regulations are a lot safer too. So I got internal damages on my liver and lungs. So it was in that moment, like <laughs> in the ambulance and at the hospital. I mean, when you're at the ER for, I think it was three nights and I couldn't use my telephone because it was um, disturbing the instruments in there. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing you can do with your time is think. So there I tried, like the, the thought is, should I continue to do this? Uh, or should I stop or should I like, and then I realized I have two options and that was to, to go all out and see how far I can go in, um, in my racing career. Um, I knew that we didn't have a lot of money. We couldn't really, um, count on doing a racing career. That wasn't like my, my lottery ticket in life really. We couldn't afford like buying a race car and start racing. 
uh, at all. We didn't have that kind of money. But I mean, if I wanted to to continue racing, I had I felt that I want to sit in in a roll cage. So if I flip the next time, I'll at least have some seat belts um, that will catch me instead of a heavy steering wheel. Steering <laughs> seat belts is unhealthy <laughs> adventures. Exactly. I felt that I needed more safety if I should continue with the sport. And um, quitting it, um, I mean, I had a great career back then. I had some podiums, uh, some wins uh, that year in 2011 until the accident. But then, then the, the thought came to me, I've been racing for, I think it was like 15 years back then or 16 or something. And it was, it's okay. I've been, I've been doing this for, for a lot, lot of time now, for a lot of years. Uh, I had a blast. A lot of my closest friends that I've raced had quitted a couple of years earlier. And um, the, the surroundings get, got more competitive. The economy and uh, in go-karts were crazy. If we wanted to be competitive, we needed about double the money that we had. Um, or sometimes three, three times the money. I think that, um, and I thought that I can't get sponsored in go-karts. So I have to, some way, step further to, to race cars and get sponsored, sponsored there. But so I took the decision at hospital to continue racing. And uh, I wanted to race as soon as possible to, to get out of like uh, traumatizing thoughts about uh, flipping the next time I sat behind the wheel and got into speed. I mean... Um, I've heard so many times from people that are doing equestrian sports with horses. If they fell off mm-hmm. their horse, uh, it's better to get back on the, the back of the horse and, uh, as soon as possible, uh, before you start thinking about it. And, um, so two weeks after the accident, I was behind the wheel again, and I was just supposed to, to roll the race through to get my points in the championship so I could secure a third place. Uh, but I didn't. Um, so in the first race, I started last, ended up seventh, um, because I raced safe, I think. But what I actually did was calming down my driving style a lot, just to take it safe. But that ended up being a lot faster than I ever expected, because I've always been an aggressive driver until then. And then I started to race smooth, the smooth racing in, in go-karts and open-wheel cars. It's the winning concept. So for the second race at that same event, I finished second because I was starting in the pole um, due to championship points and uh, there was only really one driver that could challenge me. So I let him pass and I followed him and uh, then I couldn't really pass him in the end of the race. So for the end of the, the season, I won the championship uh, in the mid-Swedish karting championship and then then I felt like it was a good decision to continue racing. Mm. And um, I started looking at what kind of racing I should pursue to. And I made a list of uh, CEOs and companies that were close to my family. My dad is a sheet metal worker. So, uh, and my mom uh, is a waitress. So both have more of a working class background. So we don't have any like family or friend, uh, friends that run companies at that mm-hmm. time that could be helpful in, in a sponsorship situation. But we had a couple connections like the boss of my dad and the uh, potential 
um, network that they had. So I made uh, two proposals. The one was to pursue to junior uh, touring car championship because I was watching the Scandinavian Touring Car Championship and that could be like a future for me. But I also had the V8 Thundercar Series as an option to that. The V8 Thundercar Series was back then a little bit more expensive. Um, and I, when I put these proposals in front of the, the owners of, of the first company, um, they both had like Chevy pickup trucks. And then I proposed that I was going to proceed in the Unicorn Turn Car Championship driving a Renault Clio. And they were just laughing. It was like, am I going to put my logo on a Renault Clio? And I was like, yeah, it's like the stepping stone of the race, <laughs> of racing in Sweden. And they were like, no way. And I was like, okay, I have another, another uh, option for you. And that is that I buy a Camaro and uh, open up my own team. And uh, since they were Chevy fans, they, um, they bought the idea. They didn't uh, enter with um, as much money as I needed, but enough to, to make the decision to, uh, to start uh, working with sponsors and making proposals and get a little bit help from local companies around the city or like uh, the municipality of uh, Värmdö and uh, Nacka, where I'm from. So, um, so we started there and we secured to do, I think it was three or four races the first season mm-hmm. um, so, or race weekends. It's a double race format. So we raced two times a weekend. Um, it wasn't a full season, but we were there. And um, when we came to, to Solvalla, which is a, um, what do you call it? They ride horses around there. Um, um. But. Yeah, I don't remember now the English. Word. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, in oval. Um, yeah, with a carriage. Um, it's actually quite fun watching those, and people used to bet on them. Um, but they paved that arena, and uh, since it's about an hour from where I live, uh, this was the closest to a home track that I could ever get. And uh, since my whole team was from Stockholm, this was our home track, and the race gathered about twenty thousand people every year. So. It was the, the largest like racing event uh, ever, um, and the the track was built in an arena format, where you en- when you entered the arena, you uh, you drove in there and you just saw the whole crowd of people, and uh, then I knew like this is the kind of racing that I enjoy, because in the other tracks you pass like a section of of spectators, and then. Half a minute later, you pass the next section of spectators. You never get the arena format like you do in, in ice hockey or, or soccer. And um, since I've been an American car fan since I was like three years old, NASCAR has, has always been on my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, so the dream was born there in 2014, basically. The first year where I raced uh, Indy Camaro. So That's my racing way- background. <laughs> Yeah, so in a way, it was the sponsors that decided also that you wanted to go into the this V8 Thunder cars, you could say. I, I've looked at those cars, and they were quite, I wouldn't say cheap, because it's not in racing and nothing is cheap, but it wasn't as costly as other kinds of racing. I mean, you got a, it was... Almost the same price as around the same price as the Junior Touring Car Championship, 
uh, in the Renault Clio, uh, but instead of having a, I think it was like 150 horsepower front wheel drive car, you get a 450 uh, rear wheel drive car, which uh, back then was the way to go because every fast car in the world is rear wheel drive driven. Mm-hmm. If you're not into rally or rallycross. So uh, I pictured that this car will learn me more. They had less brakes and the chassis wasn't as good as uh, in the touring car cars. So I pictured that the harder car to drive, the more I will learn. And, uh, but also, yes, the sponsors did a, a, a big part of the decision in, in what path in my racing career I should do. There's an old saying in Sweden that you should drive the, the racing class that you can afford to win. And um, yes, that will build you a, a great brand as a driver. But personally, I think that you should drive the racing class that the sponsors are prepared to pay for, where the sponsors can get any return of their investment. Because sponsorship is a business between you and the companies where you're supposed to make more business for the company. It's not a donation. If that answers your question. Yeah, that's very good. And uh, going back to NASCAR, you said you were always a big NASCAR fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what makes NASCAR so special for you? Why are you so interested in, in getting to NASCAR? And uh, yeah, your passion for NASCAR. Um, it's the only racing series in the world where you use about 800 horsepower uh, V8 engines with 40 cars around an arena where you as a spectator can watch the whole track at the same time and see everything uh, play out. It's just the mass of, of like, if, if you watch road course racing, you'll see three cars in a battle at most. You see the, the starts mm-hmm. uh, and then the the, spread, the, the the starting field uh, will will spread into small different groups, and um, but in oval racing it's not like that. There are cars everywhere, and as a driver you have to race the other cars. In road course racing, it's more of the driver racing the track, and with that perspective, if it, it, it's still racing against other cars a little bit, but what is the difference between a driver racing a paved track uh, against rally? Um, so it's just the, the competitiveness, uh, between the drivers that are more interesting, I think, because the more battles on the track, the more drama in the pits, and it's a great spectacle to to watch the races. I mean, with the introductions, with the big races, with large crowds at the same place. And I think that was what caught my, my mind. I mean, if you watch a NASCAR race, um, it will be more overtakes in that than in a couple of Formula One races combined. Um, so there's a lot of going, a lot of stuff going on, and uh, the cars are very different between the every tracks uh, because the, there are changes in regulation, and there's a lot of drivers to follow, and a lot of politics going on, where the um, the media and the drivers and the teams are very open about that kind of politics, and no car looks like the other one. That's also a thing that, that, I, that I like. Four cars from the same team look different because they have different sponsors. Yeah, so it's uh, a big market machine as well in, in the USA. Well, I can, uh, I can picture that 
I once got the question uh, why the races are so long. And if you look at the Daytona 500, that, that, that's an event that's four hours long combined uh, compared to a soccer game, which is 90 minutes, 45 plus 45. And um, I, I once joked about that it's because that everybody at the VIP launches should have enough time to... Uh, to mingle and uh, and do their businesses because some launches you as a driver uh, might uh, rent one for all of your sponsors so you can have like four different companies in the same place where they can network and find businesses together and have the racing as a common ground to as first meetings and, and stuff like that but really i think it was um the the car industry at the beginning that wanted to see to prove for for the audience that our Dodge or our Chevy can run for 400 miles without breaking down in full speed. And later on, that tradition uh, stayed with us. And I'm very happy that the races are so long because it makes it a, a larger like physical challenge for the drivers, but also a mental challenge because you have to keep your concentration for so long in these cars that are somewhere around... 50, 60, 70 degrees Celsius, about around 100 to 120 Fahrenheit, somewhere around that. And, and uh, currently it's Ford and Chevy and Toyota that is competing. Yes. And, and they, they have done four races already, and each had one, have won once. Ford has two wins so far this season. So... Um, Looking at the manufacturers, why, why is Toyota there? Of course, you say it's a big market for Toyota, but why aren't there any European manufacturers in NASCAR? I'm not really sure. Um, it could be that, I mean, the act it actually isn't quite far. If you look at the third division, the uh, NASCAR Gander Outdoor Series and Arkham Menard Series, we run with engine that is half built by Ilmor race engines mm. um, for Europeans that doesn't say so much but they're actually owned and uh, uh, by uh, Mercedes AMG so we race with European half-made engines uh, the tops of them are the cylinder part um, too but the bottoms are from Chevy so we have European interest in the series but to, to answer the question, I think that the American market is too small for uh, European manufacturers. Of course, it's, it's a huge opportunity, um, but Chevy, Ford, and Dodge uh, are so strong in that market. Toyota is huge, too. Uh, Toyota is the, the largest manufacturer on the, Euro in the U.S. market, I think, this year, too. It have, has been there um, a couple of years ago. So the biggest... Uh, the, the largest or the most selling cars in the U.S., of course, they should be in the largest motorsports of the U.S. And um, I, I question myself why it isn't, like, rather, why, why isn't Dodge still in, um, in, uh, in NASCAR? Why isn't other um, American brands in, uh, in NASCAR? That, that's my first question. Why isn't Honda in NASCAR? They are in um, in IndyCar right IndyCar. now. Yeah. 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 And Hyundai could be also a, 
a a brand that should uh, could compete in NASCAR, but but it's a large investment to 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 enter that sport. I mean, you should you need to sponsor at least a team in in the Cup Series, and if you've done all the research to to develop an engine, uh, why not supply supply two or three more teams in the Cup Series, and then you have the Xfinity Series where you also need to uh, to brand yourself, and uh, then you have the Gander Outdoor Series, the Arkham Menard Series the West and East series. So it's basically five different divisions that you should be making engines to. And that's a large and, and huge investment, but also a great opportunity to market yourself. Interesting thoughts. But, um... Well, it, it, it's it's a long way to put, uh, put it when, instead of saying just, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> there's my thoughts around it. <laughs> yeah, they're good thoughts. You're the NASCAR expert. I'm just trying to keep up with NASCAR besides all other motorsports I'm following. So, and also another question, compared to IndyCar, NASCAR gets more attendance figures and more viewers in the, on the TV than IndyCar. Why? Um, <laughs> that, that's also a tricky question. Uh, I mean, IndyCar has the largest racing event on the planet, I think, uh, with the uh, Indy 500. Yeah. Um, 300,000 spectators. Yeah, it is 300 to 400,000, somewhere around that, depending on year. Um, yeah. Uh, you know that those statistics be- better than me. Um, yeah. But I'd say that, I mean, Formula One isn't a large, like, racing series in the u.s either it doesn't have the following it doesn't have the fan fan base as as nascar have in the u.s and i think that i read an article a couple of years ago uh, on the subject and that is and it it argued that uh, the reason why nascar is bigger uh, than indycar basically is that every track has its own like culture um, as for me, my first race in the U.S. was at the Meridian Speedway. It's an eighth-mile-long track, which is like 400 meters. So if you ever watched a uh, uh, track and field track, uh, that's about how big it was, or small in our case. But at every Friday, they had a race where you could bring your race car, and they made up different kind of race classes. And uh, you had an attendance of between five and ten thousands of people just going there with their family grabbed a beer or, or a hot dog and went to the uh, to the stands and uh, met with all their friends and they watched the race for two or three hours with eight different classes uh, of race cars and then went home and had something to talk about like the, the rest of the weekend at those ventures it always grows up like the local next generation nascar driver or racing star so somewhere around the the, uh, the 90s those local um track champions and tra- or local stars it was like a handful of them that had a great following that all sh- uh, chose to go in the nascar path instead of the indycar car path so they brought their fan base into the nascar side of the sport so the the other drivers who wasn't as followed as those who went to IndyCar, uh, maybe brought a thousand new spectators to IndyCar, while those other drivers brought about 5,000 each. 
So um, the largest profile chose to race in uh, in NASCAR, and um, NASCAR did a lot of job with getting itself a little bit professionalized. There, there were rumors that before the the postseason gala, the the crew chiefs and mechanics had to uh, were were entered had to wash their hands and wash off their faces before they met the media and stuff like that. So they were like <laughs> keeping a good profile because they were rebranding the whole series. Because I mean, formula cars have always been related to luxury. Um, I mean, you build a very specifically purpose-built race car, which is crazy expensive. So you always have to, uh, to, to attract those kinds of people in another way. Our old team manager of mine uh, told me that NASCAR is more beer and barbecue, while IndyCar is more cheese and wine. Um, and I think that's the reason why IndyCar is more popular in Europe, too, because we're more cheese and wine than beer and barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it attracts two, kinds, uh, two different kinds of people. And yeah. um, um, at least that's uh, right now for the general public. But if you ask me, I mean, I watch every every IndyCar race and follow our two Swedes that are racing there. I think it's a really interesting racing series. Um, but I also follow a, a handful of other series. So for me, I have one uh, one foot in in both series of my personal interest. How much do you follow motorsport yourself? Um, to be honest, couple of day, a couple of hours a day. Um, <laughs> I've spent this off season watching like old NASCAR races from the fifties to see if there's anything I can learn from from the aces that that made the sport what it is today. Um, I watch a little bit in the car, not so much Formula One anymore, um, but a lot of races in in Sweden, the uh, endurance championships like IMSA. I don't I don't usually watch them like actively sitting there for two, 12 or 24 hours just watching the race but I have it on my TV in the background while I, while I work and do other stuff mm-hmm. just to see if there's anything I can learn I usually and I lo- watch a lot of i racing right now see if the simulator racing uh, have anything to uh, to teach me and it always has I when I re- watch races I have a a notebook and I have a pen and I, I always take notes for from uh, interesting situations and then I go back and watch those situations again and see what happened to that incident or how did he trick him to do that overtake or rewatch like qualifying laps and stuff like that to just to learn as much as possible from different kind of drivers. Some drivers doesn't have the opportunity to reach Formula One or to reach the top of NASCAR and they end up they can end up anywhere, like in Formula E. They can end up in uh, in GT racing or or like in LMP3, as we talked about earlier. Um, there's always stuff to learn about from from every driver, and if you can if you can collect every little detail in a basket, and then when you're at the racetrack, pick every small detail in the right situations. I think that's how you win a championship in the end. Do you have any? simulator yourself i don't right now uh i used to terrorize my my friend pontus a lot uh since he has a great one which he's eye racing on and um <laughs> so i, I uh, call him a couple a couple times a week and nagging him about going there to use it but 
The simulator is a great practicing tool in the, in the way that you can learn how the track layout is. It doesn't give you the, the exact feeling, but you can also especially watch, I'd say, others' mistakes. Like, this driver does this mistake of 20, 20 laps on the tires in this corner. And also learn how, how different corners behave. What kind of lines you can, you can try those out, and if you end up with three different types of taking a specific corner, you can bring those three different lines to the racetrack and try them out and see how does the simulator comply to reality. Instead of trying ten different lines in every corner, when you get there in reality, you can just in the simulator right away like delete them or disqualify them. And uh, how much time do you spend on like uh, mental training for the uh, physical training for the for the races? Right now with the Corona uh, situation, I don't go to the gym. I use my my weights that I have uh, at my apartment instead. But I try to to work out about five times a week. It usually ends up with doing three because um, I work somewhere between 90 to 110 hours a week with just trying to get all the sponsorships together and everything like that. But as I told you about taking notes on, uh, on uh, while I watch other race, uh, other, other drivers, uh, that is a kind of mental training. And uh, I, um, because I picture myself in the situation that I'm in, it, it is a preparation, uh, but mental training almost daily. I mean, instead of counting sheep when I fall asleep, I count uh, like corners. Like I drive a, a specific track in my head, different every time I go to sleep. But until uh, so, I picture myself driving it, uh, visualizing it, and um, that is that is also like one one kind of mental training to to get prepared when you get there in the end. Mm. So mental training every day, uh, physical training about three to five times a week but i walk a lot i take daily or nightly walks to collect my 10 to twenty thousand steps a day you also mentioned you work a lot every week uh what do you what do you do besides racing can you explain a bit more yeah um racing is my full-time occupation right now but Mm -hmm. We do not we do not spend a lot of time on the tracks uh, since I'm not a full time scheduled racer. It's more of like business development and um, sales job uh, because I try to develop different kind of concepts, uh, including sponsorship for potential sponsors, and I reach out to them and I go to a lot of meetings. I used to have about four meetings a week, and then I have a lot of time to to build the car. Uh, it takes a lot of time to build specific concepts for every company because if you have a construction company, they have some opportunities and they have some um, challenges that they, they need help with. But if you go to like a um, brewery company uh, like Naco, which is a sponsor to me right now, uh, they have completely different challenges because they're selling products in stores and they're not selling like services to state-owned uh, kind of departments. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
going back to your driving and uh, racing career, when was your first race in the USA? The first time was in 2017 that I raced in the US. We've had a um, tough year in the DV8 TC series in Sweden, uh, where we departed from uh, the STCC events. So the Scandinavian Touring Car Championship back then uh, hosted both the Scandinavian Touring Car Championship racing class, but also three others, and the VATC series was one of them. Until 2016, when they wanted to uh, focus their energy on other uh, racing classes, they, they re remade their, their concept, but I still owned the car in the VATC series, and I had to to field it because we couldn't sell it. Um, so we competed with the VATC series in a new different concept in, uh, in which I felt was not successful enough to keep my sponsors, not successful enough to attract new sponsors. So I stood with the, the two options of closing the shop and closing the team and put my helmet on the shelf and, uh, retire um and or uh, take all the experience and uh, resources the, the few of the resources i had uh and bring them somewhere else like move shop so uh, i sent a couple of emails to asia i sent a, a lot of uh, emails to teams down in europe it could be like gt series uh, nascar euro series um but i sent about i think it was Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 60 or 70 different emails to different, like, smaller teams in the U.S. to actually enter the, uh, the ladder of NASCAR. And I got one reply. And um, they gave me an opportunity to where they wanted to see me in a late model car. But they didn't trust that I could drive. So I got over to... Uh, Got on a plane from, from Stockholm to Los Angeles and from there from Los Angeles to Idaho. And uh, if you've ever been in Idaho, you know that th that is the, in the middle of, uh, of the Wild West. There's like nothing there. It's very rural. And um, the, culture, uh, between, the culture differences between Los Angeles and, and Idaho is, is quite huge. So when I arrived there, they let me to, to try this Hornet car. And Hornet cars are front-wheel dri driven, have about 100 horsepowers. Uh, they're very torn up and quite cheap to start with. And um, I did half a se section with it, and I, I thought it, it felt quite great. I mean, you could basically floor it out all the way around this, this eight-mile, uh, eighth-of-a-mile track. And um, then I got 
the team manager wanted me to try a uh, a modified uh, car, uh, a Grand American, as they call them, which is a um, open wheeled stock car like three hundred and fifty horsepower V eight powered race car. And in that car, in the first section, session I was a tenth slower than the team's ace driver, Stafford Smith. And the team manager was impressed and wanted me to, to race the, the late model car in the weekend after that. We did the tests on, on this Wednesday. So I got to test the late model on the Thursday too, a couple of sessions. And uh, then we show up for the Friday race. And in the feature race, finished third. And in the, I got a top 10, I think, in the, the later race um, that same weekend. And, um, I mean, the comp- competition was tough. I mean, these cars and these drivers have, they were in the, their 30s or 40s and have driven these kind of cars for the last 15 seasons and has only driven on that specific track, so they knew everything about it. But they still managed a P3 and a P7 or 8, I think. And um, obviously that left a mark because when I landed in Stockholm, like half a week later, uh, I had an opportunity to go to the um, go back to the team the weeks later uh, to uh, to do the last two races in the K and Pro Series West Series, which is the the regional championship in the US. So from starting at like the bottom. Uh, in the Hornet car on the Wednesday to like three weeks later sit in a K9 car. That was something that I couldn't really even picture in my head that I would be doing. Mm. But talking about like <clears throat> racing on an old track, the difference is when you race a road course and you brake and get into the corner, you brake and you, your car is going straight ahead forward. But in the oval car, as soon as you release your... Um, the throttle, the car starts to turn left. And when you brake, the car will turn very aggressively to the left. So the cars were really turning in a way that I had never even pictured that they could. So you could keep a lot more speed through the corners than I could ever picture that you could like build a car to do. But these cars, in the end, they are made to go uh, one way, and that's left. And... Uh... How would you describe uh, the American racing culture compared to the European? When I got to the, to the racetrack with the team, when I got out of the car, the first question was, did you enjoy it? Did you have fun? Wasn't it fun? And um, in Europe, the culture is a lot different. Is the first question you get is, why didn't you win? Why didn't you was this fast? <laughs> so the culture... <laughs> around american racing is a lot more laid back i'd say and um people are allowed to get a lot closer to the tra- to to the race cars and to the drivers and um i mean even in the K&M pro series you do race because you enjoy the sport and you love the sport and everybody who works within racing does it because they love racing and they have passion for the sport and they show it. They show that we, I'm here because I love racing. That doesn't happen in Europe. It's more like I race and I am a mechanic for this team to compete. It's not about the sport. It's not about 
having a good time. Um, it's all about the competition. And that laid-back culture made it a lot easier for me to, to relax. It, remind, it reminded me why I started racing when I was six or seven years old. And you get that, like, when you get that relax and you actually enjoy every lap that you do, and you start playing with the car again, which you haven't done in a couple of years, probably, because in Europe you're thought a, 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 a certain way that this is how you race your car, this is the corners, this is how you take them, this is how you brake, this is where you brake, these are the lines that you should take. When you go back to like the mindset you had when you were six or seven years old, you were just playing around and fooling around the track and you were everywhere and nowhere at the same time. But all of a sudden you find like something that nobody ever seen before because you're having fun and you're enjoying yourself. And you get in that mood and you get easier into the flow of racing. And that is also something that People who race never shall forget, even if you are in Europe right now, remember why you started racing. You do it because you enjoy the freedom behind the wheel, probably, or you just think it's fun. Do not lose that passion for what you're doing. Mm. Have you had any motorsport person who had helped you to get to the right connections? Or, or did you like make all your connections yourself you said you sent emails to the united states and so on it's quite common in motorsport culture that an older motorsport driver helps younger ones up did you have any kind of this relationship i wouldn't say really to be honest i mean when i got my first opportunities in the u.s uh, i sent emails to the three former nascar drivers that we have had from sweden alex danielson matthias ekstrom and um, uh, Nick Johnson. Mm. And uh, I got a quick little advice from Matthias Ekström. He told me to work hard and keep digging and do as best as work as hard as I can because then you will, will like increase your chances to succeed, but it's not a guarantee. And me and Alex Danielson have had, I think it's like four or five conversations where I've asked him for like his experiences some advice regarding some specific stuff and so, so on. But he didn't race uh, so much in the U.S. either. I think uh, Matthias did three races in total. Alex did four or five. But the largest help I've had is from Nick Johnson, because when I was done in the U.S., uh, I called him and asked him a lot of stuff. He's still, he's li- he lives in the U.S. and have worked a lot uh, around the, in the NASCAR industry. But... Since he's been working with his things, he is a endurance racer still, uh, a successful one. Uh, he uh, he couldn't be uh, he didn't didn't have the possibilities to be my manager, but he have always been there to answer specific questions like, "I have these three opportunities. Which opportunity do you think I should should take?" Are these good people? Do you know anything about them? But he haven't really opened doors for me in that way because uh, he didn't want to manage me publicly because he didn't have the resources and time for it. But all the advices that I got from Nick, Alex, and Matthias, even if they haven't managed me in the way that, as you talked about, that older uh, or former or retired uh, race car drivers help the next generation, they've 
put me in a direction and they've uh, explained the mistakes that they made. Like mm -hmm. explaining, like, this is the minefield. Don't go over there. Don't go over there. Think about this when you pass there. So what they've done in their career in the U.S. have, like, helped me to, to find my way through it. The largest help, I'd say, in the U.S. is from the team managers, the managers themselves. Like Kent Smith um, was a great advisor. Uh, John Wood, my first team owner um, in the K&N Pro Series who did the late model stuff and the Hornet car that I talked about. They don't do that kind of stuff anymore. And then later on, uh, Will Kimmel and Bill Kimmel that I raced for in ARCA for the first time. My first race I did in the ARCA Racing Series with Will Kimmel. Uh, he's still a race car driver, but he raced in the Cup Series, Xfinity Series, anything American, like oval kind of racing you can think of. Uh, in, within that race, I learned more about racing cars than I did of three years racing cars in Sweden. So it really opens your perspective in different ways. If you have a really good crew chief and team manager and a team owner, and right now I work with Andy Hillenberg and the Fast Track Racing guys. And uh, Andy have been doing like everything from racing the Indy 500 to doing oval racing in stock cars. So uh, there's a lot of like knowledge and experience in a whole different way that we have like compared to what teams you can get into in Sweden. In European motorsport, you often more often like lean on the engineers of the team and the data rather than raw experience and raw knowledge of the sport. Mm. And uh, what do you like the most at being a racing driver? It's a very simple question, but the answer is hard to find out. <laughs> um, it's easier to answer what I enjoy with racing cars. Um, that is more, uh, but what I, what I enjoy most being a race car driver, I think it's the opportunity to race very specific race cars, I'd say. With, with my record, uh, I think that it's, it's just a few teams in the world that will like tell me that you can't test this race car compared to a, a person that have been interested in racing but never raced themselves. Uh, if they go to a race team with a lot of money, it's not really sure that they're possible to, to try the car or race the car. But lifestyle-wise, I mean, right now I'm working with what I, what I enjoy. It's my largest interest in life. and. Um, so when I say that I work 90 to 110 hours a week, I enjoy every minute of it because um, it, it's my passion in life. It's my more or less my, my meaning and passion or purpose of life uh, to race cars or be in a racing industry. So um, like, I like the best parts of it. I like the interviews. I like uh, the sponsor meetings. I enjoy the, um, the, the time on the track the most. I enjoy... Uh, like we did in Pocono this year, me and Sebastian, which is my sidekick. Like 
after the race, they have uh, concerts and stuff in the infield of the racetrack. And just going there and talk with the fans and spend time with people who enjoy the sport as much as I do. So what I enjoy most with being a race car driver, it, it is being close and being in an uh, environment where people who share my passion are, if you get the answer. Hmm. And uh, then the opposite, what do you like the least with being a race, race car driver? Wow. <laughs> That's a tough question too. Um, I'd say it's the challenges. It's the, um, envi- the challenging part of the environment. I mean, or the competitive uh, part. I found it really hard to get and build healthy relationships like friendships with other drivers, mm. especially in Europe. It's a lot easier in the US because people are more laid back. And... Um, But every like teammate in the sport is your like largest competitor because you're the only one that you really compete with. Uh, like if you have a team that builds four cars, those four cars are pretty similar to each other uh, compared to another team. So your talent and your performance is the easiest way. Uh, the it's easier to compare you to your teammates than other teams because they have other like preferences and other opportunities. So I think what I like least with, with racing as a sport is the relationship with your teammates. Uh, they can be very constructive and uh, really funny. I built a great relationship with my uh, teammate Stafford Smith I had in, uh, in the K&N Pro Series. He learned me, uh, he taught me a lot about these kind of race cars. Um, we spend early mornings and late nights like setting them up in the, in the workshop. And he showed me how, how to repair them and, and stuff like that. And even explained like some kind of tricks you can do on the track. And um, that is how a teammate relationship should look like. And um, when I find other, like, when I try um, and uh, either, like, visit races to watch other teams work, i can directly tell to the team manager that that relationship doesn't work. You have to change one of the drivers to another. But also uh, what I should strive for myself when I choose the team that I should work with. Because my performance is um, dependent on the relationship with my fellow teammate. I mean, the the the... The goal for the teammate is to uh, the team manager is to build the strongest team, and the goal for the team owner is to build like an, an economically working team uh, or profitable. And if your drivers are competing too much with each other uh, instead of competing against the other competitors, you'll just end up with a lot of internal like dramas instead of. Uh, your your two drivers developing together yeah it's an interesting thought but in one way of course it's the spectators also like in team battles as well and want some drama so it's <laughs> but <of> course, <laughs> it's part of the game as well it is it is but 
Also, it's better if it's drama uh, for the team and for, 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 for everybody except the fans, I think. I think it's mm. more interesting if there are internal like dramas between the drivers from the same team. But it's also fun to watch drama between uh, drivers from different teams. Mm. And that doesn't hurt your own team so much. I mean, if you're a race car driver, you should focus on racing that car as fast as possible, not what another driver tells you and what attitude he got or her, because th that's focusing on the wrong things. I mean, personal development, develop at the track and run the cars as, as fast as you dare. Mm. Like. Talk, talking about development, uh, how do you feel about your own driving talent? I'm very confident about that, but I'm also my biggest critic. As I mentioned earlier about talent profile, I know that I'm weak in qualifying which means that I'm also weak in test sessions, but in the racing, develop racing environment, uh, that's, that is where I have my strengths. Mostly in tire management, I'd say, long-term planning on the race. I mean, we race for 200 to 400 laps. I mean, if I'm fast one of 400 laps, I'll end up last. So it's better to be quite fast every lap to have the right opportunities uh, in the end of the race. So uh, I describe myself as a smart driver, but of course it's, it's full of perks if you do qualify good, especially on the road courses. But on the super speedways, it doesn't really matter because the races are so long and you might stay out of trouble if you uh, start in the, in the rear and in the behind. So that's how I should describe my my talent. I mean, it, it's easy to say this driver is uh, is talented, this driver isn't talented. But if you if you break up like the details of it, to it, it makes it a lot easier. If you look at a certain driver to to watch, is he a fast qualifier? Is he a fast racer? What do you mean with a fast racer? Is he fast when he uh, is? in front of the field or midfield or in the back of like a couple of cars. There's a lot of strategy going on in NASCAR. I mean, in a lot of races, when we, uh, we save fuel by um, staying behind somebody instead of racing them, we save tires with, uh, through um, running by ourselves uh, or having a car behind us. So there's so many different like ways to race a car in uh, in nascar compared to uh, the road course racing because the road course races are shorter and um you're not in packs in the same way as we are i'd say mm. so let's say like if you look at the, the super speedways i mean racing wise you exit the um, the pits and you gear up from second to third to fourth, and then you go all out for 60 laps straight, and you keep hugging the yellow line on the inside. That's your line. You, doesn't do, you don't do any like driving changes at all. I mean, if you're going to qualify, you will have, you would probably stay uh, in other lanes and uh, then dive down to the yellow line. But apart from that, the lines are very easy. So 
this, the large challenge is to, to race the other drivers. And how do you trick the other drivers to stay behind you or uh, how to overtake them and then keep them behind you to win the race? As you say, people who are, who are strong on the super speed race are smart drivers. People who qualify first on road courses and win races are fast drivers. And of course, you can be both smart and fast. And uh, that is what I strive for. Mm. And uh, do you ever feel any fear while racing? Not while racing, I'd say. When I put my helmet on, I release every thought that uh, is like connected with the fears and the risks of the sport. I mean, the, the sport we have is, is dangerous. I mean, even though we haven't had any case of death since Dale Earnhardt Sr. and the beginning of the, uh, the millennia, 2001, a lot of drivers end their careers with problems with their neck or their back. And I don't want to be one of those because when I retire, I still want to live my, my family life or, and do my businesses around the, around the sport without having any pains or troubles with the sport. And I think that many people doesn't, doesn't know about this. I mean, okay, the guy crashed, but he survived, but they don't know that he have complications with the body afterwards. So, of course, I think about the risks, but never in the, in the racing mode, um, never when I have the helmet on my head, because... In all racing situations, uh, risk shouldn't be a, a option to think about. Because if you have one chance to win the race, you should always take it, I think. But not risk like too many points in the championship, of course. Uh, but the risk of your life, I mean, as soon as you pass 150 kilometers an hour, you're going fast and you're taking risks for your health. Um, and we're going double the speed on that. So I'm never afraid when I race because I, I've trained myself to not think about those kind of things when I'm in that situation. Hmm. We have gone on over an hour here now, but I still have so many questions to ask. But <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh... Let's pick something here. Uh, which occasion or event in motorsport have affected you the most? Oh, um, I think it's either um, the first time that I got to drive a go-kart, uh, a rental go-kart when I was five years old with my dad. Uh, I remember crashing and hurting my leg, but still wanting to um to go back to the go-kart place and do it again because if i've had i just crashed and uh, felt like i don't want to do this anymore i've never started started racing um the other part is uh probably the incident i did when i was 18 uh and was hospitalized because if that hadn't happened uh, i would probably not be in a race car and um then uh, for, uh, for the next step was probably when I was with my girlfriend at the time in, uh, in the western parts of the U.S. In the last season I did in, uh, in Scandinavia, 
or the Nordic countries when we visited Las Vegas Motor Speedway for the first time. And I just saw this huge tracks, track with, um, with this 25, 30 degree something banks. And I was like, so you're, you're about to go 300 kilometers around this because the track was quite small compared to the road courses that I've raced on. But still, the banks made it so, so really fast. And um, when we was in the, at the infield and washed all over all these huge like stands, uh, the grandstands and spectator seats, um, uh, I just kept one thought in my mind, and that was, I need to race here sometime. I need to try this out. I don't care if I race professionally or just try these kind of tracks. So that put the seed in my head to do oval racing. Um, so those are the three, like, <laughs> the, 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 the critical points of my career. Like, the first time where I realized that I need a change now. Either start a sport or change sport or change category in the sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, which race is the best to travel to? Everything taken into account. For example, the area which the race is held, the on-track action, travel distance to the country, the country itself, and so on. I'll give five different suggestions there, five different suggestions of five different races. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, the Daytona 500. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's the number one on your list. It's um, it's always sold out. It's in the it's the the peak of the Daytona Speed Week, which is like a festival of speed with different kinds of races around the area. To go there, either live on the infield or uh, hang out in the grandstands and then tailgate behind the the arena. That is like they call it the Super Bowl of racing, and I do I do comply with that. Um, while the Daytona 500 is the Super Bowl racing, the great spectacle in racing is uh, the Indy 500. But apart from the Daytona 500, I'd say it's the Brickyard 400, which is held on um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The same as the Indy 500 is, but it's a different event. Um, this year it's in the 4th of July, so I'd say the 4th of July race in or around that weekend. Um, is a must go to because you'll celebrate the independence and national day of America, uh, together with hundreds of thousands of fans. And the sport is very patriotic. I think that 96% of the NASCAR fans are, are considering themselves as patriots. So those are the best people to celebrate America with. I think they're the ones that love it. But then you have the, the road course races, except for uh, you should either go to Watkins Glen or Sonoma. So either Northern California or Northern New York State. Because if you're familiar to European racing, uh, you probably enjoy the road course racing. It is competitive in a different way in NASCAR because they have rules packages that really makes the racing really interesting. 
I think it was around 150 spectators at Watkins Glen last year. Among them, it was, I think it was 22,000 campers and RVs. So people really live by the racetrack and they have barbecues and people are really friendly if you go to them and uh, approach them. Um, just make sure that they know that you're European and they'll see you in, as a, a tourist or a visitor in their country and they'll take very, very good care of you. And then I think it's the, the race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway or uh, the Hour Club 400 in Los Angeles because then you're close to Las Vegas or Los Angeles, which are great places to, to visit if you've never been to the U.S. before. Yeah. And uh, why should someone follow this NASCAR season? This NASCAR season is probably, um, if you look at the Cup Series at the Cup level, the Major League, the highest series, the Tier 1, have never been so competitive. I mean, last year, Toyota was really strong in the Joe Gibbs racing team. Um, they're not as strong this year, but they still have one win in four races. Chevy has one win in four races, and uh, Ford has two. So there are four different teams that have a win, and uh, every team has three or four drivers. So with that accounted, so we, we don't really know who will win the championship this year. It could be one of 15 different drivers. And... Um, I can't remember which season in like Formula One, the 15th ranked driver after four races had the possibility and speed to win the championship. I think it's um, never been like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, a quite, it's, it's quite different between the series. The comp competition is really different. I mean, as I told you earlier, we have four different kinds of racetracks. And every team um, try to peak their cars for one of these kind of racetracks because if you get a win and good results on these kind of racetracks, you'll collect enough points to go to the playoffs. And while in the playoffs, uh, you'll re return to these kind of tracks for one or two races. And um, so that makes it really interesting. They put the resources differently bet between these kind of racetracks. Um, so because of like how competitive this season is in particular, next year uh, NASCAR will change and introduce an, the next generation of cars. Yeah. So this is the last year with these kind of cars. And they've really put together a great rule package for tight and unexpected racing. Mm. What are the biggest differences for the next gen car? Wow, they're, they're not really done with what they're going to do, what kind of changes they're going to do with it. Um, because they, they, have, they haven't made the decisions yet. They have tried like ideas uh, to the public. Um, but some of the bigger differences is that they're moving from, I think it's 16 or 15-inch uh, wheels to 18 With the 18-inch uh, wheels, they'll remove the five lug nuts that they changed today to one single centrum, like in Formula One or IMSA or uh, GT Racing. Um, another difference is um, 
the gearbox. They're changing the four-speed uh, age pattern gearbox to a sequential six-speed gearbox. And um, on the ovals, I don't think that that will change a lot because you'll probably go on the six-speed all the way around. I don't think that you'll change gear because you can make gearing changes in the uh, in the rear axle to make sure that you never have to gear during the race. Um, but at the road courses, that will play a big difference. It will look a lot more like the uh, supercar series in Australia, I think. Uh, as well as they're talking about making an independent rear end. Uh, today we have like a stiff rear axle that will make the car handles a lot different. I mean, at the ovals, you can, st- you can adjust the uh, camber and caster angles of the rear end. And that is a game changer for these kind of cars. I mean, NASCAR cars are basically in some kinds of like technolog- technological development stuck in the 70s. And now they're moving to the 90s. So um, a lot of crew chiefs and car chiefs uh, have to, to, to rethink what they think is NASCAR, I think. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's been really interesting to listen to you. I still have some final questions here. Yeah. But I think you'll be back soon with another episode because there's still a lot to talk about. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what hints would you give to someone who wants to wants to start racing in NASCAR or not NASCAR but in the same field as you have been racing in? Drive what you can afford. Start with that. And um, drive what you think um, what you think is fun to drive. I mean, as I, I, I say that everything is raceable. I mean, you, you can put me in, in a, the electrical car I had when I was four, and I'll find a way to race it too, and I'll find a way to enjoy every second of it. Don't be the kind of person that say that I can't race this because it's too slow, it doesn't have the horsepower enough. I mean, even if you, we race a car that is all torn down and uh, have an engine for 100 horsepower, but only puts 50 together because it's old. I mean, I'll find a way to drive it faster than you. When you're faster than me in that car, then you can step away like to the next step. Um, race because it's fun. Try to learn every lap you do. But if you want to enter American racing, um, start at the bottom. Um, start in the local series. Uh, why not try out the dirt tracks? I mean, that's also a way to develop further. And don't be afraid to call team managers at the next level and introduce yourself and start having discussions with them and ask them, how can I put uh, stuff together to get an opportunity to race with you? If you look at me now, uh, where I am at my talent level and experience level, what do I need to work with to get your attention and acceptance to race one of your cars so don't be afraid to ask people don't be afraid to to ask other drivers like how do you take this corner how do you think in this situation 
sometimes you actually get a constructive answer, but most times they'll feel competitive and give you another answer than what you're actually looking for. But the team managers, um, you'll probably always get some kind of construct- constructive answer. You can set up like goals with the local team owner uh, of what you want to achieve. Um, but start at your local racetrack and build everything from there. I mean, if you're from Sweden or if you're from Finland, um, get to the, to the local racetrack and uh, ask around, like, what kind of cars can I drive here? Buy a car together with a couple of friends, do some endurance racing together, build a car, and uh, change the tires when you're not driving. Like, keep the costs as low as you can. And then ask yourself, how can any like company or potential sponsor make money of what we're doing right now? Maybe they want to try the car. Maybe they want to do like an event with their closest, like most important customers. Maybe they want to drive the car. Maybe they want to get a ride along in the car and, um, and start at that level and reach out for like sponsors that are in the size that you are. I mean, um, brands like Monster Energy and Coca-Cola, now that's the same company or Naka that I work with, they'll rarely answer your calls until they know about you and call you themselves. So start with, if you're local, start with local companies, like dig where you are and um, don't be afraid to... uh, to take chances, if you dream of racing in the U.S., do like I did. Send these 50, 70, 100, if you have to, emails to different race car owners and ask them, what would it cost for me to rent your car? To do, like, try it. And when you're there and you actually tried that car, you actually have some experience on U.S. soil. And... During that trip, make sure to get to know as many, many people as you can because everybody knows somebody that can help you. Mm. And uh, do you feel like you're living the, the motorsport dream? Kind of, I'd say. I'd say kind of. Um, absolutely in some parts. I, I wake up every morning knowing that Today, I'm going to work with racing the whole day. And I go to sleep every night knowing that tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the next week and the next month, everything I do will be related to racing. Mm-hmm. And that has been a dream for me since I was six years old. I just wish that I every week had some seat time in a race car. And um, that is like the last step to really fulfill the motorsport dream, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're there, but not still there, so to say. Um, uh, (laughs) I've just entered the door to the party, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the whole nut is waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. the perspective you should have. Yeah. 
And yeah. and if you if you've thought about going to, into racing and start your motorsport career, well, then then you've just left your home and you're on the way to the party. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks for having you on the show here. It's been really interesting to listen to you and getting to and getting to know NASCAR much better. Mm-hmm. So, so where can people follow you and your what you're up to? The easiest way is to go to my website, uh, jonasforce.com, F-O-R-S.com, uh, um, and then scroll all the way down because some people use Twitter, some people use uh, Instagram, some people use Facebook. I got the links down there. Um, I use my Instagram the most. Um, then you, there you can find me if you search for Jonas Force uh, NASCAR, and I'll show up for Force in Racing. But on my website, in, all the way down, I also have a link to my Spotify with a playlist of all the songs that I listen to on a race day to get in mood. Try that one out. Mm. And when is your next race? It is in the 29th of May at Mid-Ohio in the Arc Urban Art Series. Um, we haven't really secured it yet uh, financially, but we're very, very close. And uh, that's why I can say that that will be my next race. Hopefully, that will be the race that opens the opportunities for me uh, to get approved to race in the Xfinity Series after that. Sounds interesting. We're at a very interesting phase right now. Um, and I just can't wait until the end of May to show everybody what I got on our road course in the US. Yeah, I'll sure watch that race if I can. It's possible through the internet, right? I guess. Yeah, it is. It is. Yes. So we'll put on some links when the race is. I'll make sure that everybody find a way to, to watch it. Yeah. Perfect. But yeah, thanks and best of luck to the upcoming race. Thank you too for having me. Thanks. You've been listening to the Motorsport Dream with Christopher Lindine. Thank you for listening to this episode. To find out more information about the company Speed Passion, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and on our webpage at speedpassion.fi. And also find more information about Racing Time watches on racingtime.se. Follow Christopher and his motorsport journey on Christopher.Lindine on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, released every fortnight. Till next time, this is the Motorsport Dream. Signing off.